As we walk out the journey of life, we each begin to thirst for something more. We want more than just life the way we know it. It's a thirst for more peace, more fulfillment, more purpose. That was God's plan all along. Since the ancient times, he has made promises that he will quench that thirst. And the promises he made long ago are the same promises he has made for us today. Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? I like the energy in the room today. It's like y'all are in love with Jesus or something. That was a good place for it to get louder, you know. I'll give you another chance. It's like y'all are in love with Jesus or something this morning. There you go. All right. Man, excited to be in God's house, worship God. Um, y'all got to see something incredible this morning, something that a select few of us has, have known for a very long time, and that's that Dan Lundberg is capable of messing up. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's real. It can happen. It can happen. Some of you are like, who's Dan Lundberg? He's the guy that uh, couldn't play today. So, all right. <laughs> I never get a chance to, to burn Dan, so I had to take the opportunity. He knows I love him. And he's perfect like 51 Sundays a year. So this is the, the 52nd where he, he injured himself. And uh, <clears throat> nobody told him you swing a hammer at a nail, not at your fingers. But anyway... <laughs> well, hey, I want to jump right into the message today because um, our team has to get us out of here today by like 12.15, which is early, earlier than normal because there's a movie showing in this very theater and you don't get to watch it for free. And, uh, and so I want to make sure they have time to, to tear down and, and get us out of here. So real quick, would you help me one more time? Let's welcome anybody who's here for the very first time checking us out this morning. We're so glad that you're here. And if you are here today for the first time, you have come on the very last week of a six-part series called Four Cups. I know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why would you have a six-part series called Four Cups? And it's because we spent two weeks kind of setting things up. We set up everything the first week with a message on God's four core promises for our lives that started way back in, uh, in Egypt with the Israelites and the story of Moses. And then the second week we talked about how through Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, those core promises become available to all of us. Come on, somebody. Aren't you thankful for what Jesus did, what he made available to you with his uh, act of, of sacrifice on the cross? And, uh, and then we've been breaking down each of those four promises, the four cups, over the last several weeks. And uh, I'm really pumped up about what God has been doing in people's lives through the series. And even just in my heart and my life, there is a book that accompanies this series, you can find it on our website, truelife.tv forward slash store. Uh, we don't really make any money off of that, 4%, I think, because we partnered up with Amazon just so we could get the book in your hands. You don't have to get it from us. You can go to Barnes & Noble. You can go to Family Christian. You can go wherever you want to go. Buy the book. I think it'll help you. And uh, there's a lot that comes from Chris Hodge's book, Four Cups, that has really impacted how we model our church and how we do things around here. You can learn even more about that tonight at True Life 101 as part of our life track. And I uh, want to invite you to, to be a part of that. Let me just do a little bit of review this morning as we jump into this. 
and, uh, and talk about those four cups. We find them in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. The Jewish people call these the four I wills. And every year at Passover, they go through a process of drinking four cups of wine. Sounds like fun to some of you. It's a place for laughter. Like, I'm a Christian. I don't drink. I don't. You're also a liar. All right, so. Exodus 6, 6 and 7, the Jewish people call these the four I wills. And what they do is they read this scripture, they remember these four promises, and then drink a cup of wine in remembrance Remembrance through each of these. And you remember in all four Gospels, we see an account of Jesus doing this with the disciples, having that last supper, drinking from the cups. I'm going to talk some more about that in just a minute, show you something really cool today. Let's look at Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 together this morning and see these four I wills in Scripture. And it's God speaking here. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I'm the Lord. And here's the first one. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And that's the cup of sanctification, the cup of setting apart. And we talk about in our church how that really gets that that first cup gets represented in the process of salvation. That was where God came and rescued the Israelites from Egypt saved them from slavery there. And I know what you're, some of you theologic type, theolo, theologian types are, I'm sure there's a ton of you here, are thinking, but it, how can, is, isn't salvation and sanctification a different thing? How can the cup of sanctification also be the thing that represents salvation for us in our church? And it's simply this. The process of sanctification starts at salvation. It, that's where it begins, all right? And so God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, began the process of setting them apart, making them his own people. They were his own people before that, but leading them toward the promised land. That's the first I will. Here's the second one. I will free you from being slaves to them. And we've talked about how that's not the same thing. God wanted to get his people out of Egypt. Then he had to get the Egypt out of his people. And that's the cup of redemption, which is really about getting free from your past life. And this is where most Christians get stuck. They give their hearts to Jesus eternal life, uh, salvation from God's wrath and from sin. That all sounds great. Now what? feels like I'm the same person doing all the same things I've always done. That's why you need to drink from the cup of deliverance. I'm sorry I called it redemption a second ago. It's the cup of deliverance, getting free from your past life. Let's look at the next one. And I will redeem you, the cup of, re- of redemption, with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. We talked about this last week, how God reached down to his people and, and you say mighty acts of judgment. What is that? We talked about last week. God wasn't saying, hey, Israel, I'm going to have my mighty acts of judgment against you to redeem you. What did he do? He sent plagues. And then ultimately, when the Egyptians tried to chase the Israelites out of town, he created that incredible miracle of the Red Sea where the Israelites walked through on dry land. And when the Egyptian army tried to follow them, what did we see? An incredible act of judgment where God struck down the enemy. How many know the enemy has a plan, just like the Egyptians had a plan for the Israelites that was different than God's plan. The enemy of your soul has a plan for your life that's different than God's plan. And he wants to cancel out the enemy's plan. There is an act of judgment that God wants to exercise on your life, not exorcism. He just wants to do it to cancel out the enemy's plan so that his plan can reign supreme. I hope that excites you this morning. Come on, somebody. I know, it's, is it hot in here? I, I sent a true, true story. I sent a text to Brian just a second ago, and I said, is it hot in here, or I'm just, am I just the fat guy? I don't know, because I was kind of sweating. Now it's getting worse. All right. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Verse 7, and here's the last one. I will take you 
as my own people. And this is the cup of praise. We're going to talk about this today and I'll be your God. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And kind of the recurring theme of this series has been that until you drink from all four cups, until you get your life attached to all four promises, core promises that God has for your life, you can't really know who God is and what he has for you. Like, like you, you could have the, the first and the second cup and you could taste a little bit of what God has for you. But until you have all four promises operating in your life, you're not going to really ever fully and completely understand who God is and what he has for you. And I think you're going to live a life that's a little bit empty, that isn't fulfilling. And I just believe with all my heart, I'm going to show you why today in Scripture, that God genuinely for all of us wants us to live a life that's full and rich. Come on, somebody. So let me just take you through a review of the four cups. Now, some of you have gotten ahead of me and you filled in the blanks and uh, you shouldn't have because they're different this week. All right. I just want to review what the four cups are. And here's what now the last four weeks we've talked about what these cups represent. Today, what I want to do is show you where in the life of our church these four cups take place. Where do we try to help people in the life of our church get their lives attached to each of these four core promises for their life? So the first one. The cup of sanctification, we've talked about how, for us, that really represents the act of salvation. God bringing his people out of Egypt. And all of us, we've been in an Egypt at some point. We've been surrendered to a life of sin separate from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we invite Christ into our life, he brings us out of that life and into a new life through salvation. So where do we try to make sure that happens in True Life Church? Where do we try to make sure people always have an opportunity to drink salvation, to find Christ. And here's the answer in your notes, if you want to write it down, that happens for us in the weekend service. We feel like in our church, what God has called, and this is very different from the way many churches approach what they do on a weekend and how they program and how services flow. And, and uh, this is why we do things like offer coffee for free and, and different things like that, because we feel like in our church, the design God has for us is to make the Sunday morning experience the most evangelistic thing that we ever do. It is the place where every single week we want to create an opportunity for people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And check it out. Here's what I think. I spent some time on the phone with Jeff this week making sure that we uh, didn't misre misrepresent some things. I think it's working. It's working. I want to share some numbers with you. We haven't perfected it yet, by the way. We, like we know there's a lot of stuff that isn't perfect yet. That's why we need more and more people to say, I'm in. I want to be a part of helping as many people as possible connect to all four promises for their life. Because the more people we have helping us do that, the better we can be at it. We're trying to do everything we can with excellence. I believe God doesn't deserve leftovers. He deserves our best. Come on, somebody. You saw it modeled already. That's why we tell our, our worship team, you're not allowed to have music stands on stage. We just want you to get up and be free to worship. Take care of all that during the week so that on Sunday, you can model worship in excellence for the rest of our church. That's why we do it that way. So is that harder work? Yeah. Is God worth it? I think so. All right? So the weekend services is where we want to lead as many people to Jesus as possible. This year alone, check this out. We have averaged on Sunday morning... Right at about 100, it's like 119.8 something something. About, right at about 120 people who attend our service every week on a Sunday morning. That's what we've averaged 
so far in 2014. Now, we've had some big Sundays, and we have some Sundays where everybody went on vacation. So this is the average, all right? Like Easter, 164 people were here. Um, what's really cool is we have not dipped below 100 this year. That's the first time we've ever done that as a church. So that's awesome. All right. And, uh, and compared to last year where we were averaging in the low nineties at this, so on the first Sunday in June last year, we were averaging in the low nineties. So clearly people are showing up. God is doing something. There's growth here. Here's the really exciting one. So far in 2014, 15 people have begun a relationship with Jesus Christ and given their heart to him and it's going to continue to happen. So excited about that. So we just, we think it's working. The weekend service is where we want to have as many people as possible get an opportunity to meet Jesus. The second cup, the cup of deliverance. Where can I get free from my old life, from my past life? For us, we want to see people walk through that process in small groups. We want, that's Joel, our small group director. I can Oh, he doesn't even like to amen, but if I say small groups, he amens. I mean, it really does. Small groups. See? See, that's how it works. He's all about small groups. And there's actually a training coming up. We need as many people as possible to jump in and be small group leaders. Is that, when is that, Joel? Have you got that scheduled yet? He's pulling out his calendar. Uh, today. Let's do today. We'll, we'll get it out to you. We've got a training coming up in just a couple of weeks for those of you who want to lead a group in our summer semester, starts uh, in, in later on in June or at the beginning of July and uh, runs all the way till uh, it's just a six-week semester. So it runs into August. Then we get a nice break. We wait for all the students to come back on campus and all those things and uh, before our fall semester. So just a nice six-week semester, a great opportunity. If you've never led a group, you got a, you got an easy exit sign. Just six weeks, you can make it, all right? And we say, so I don't know what to do. I don't know what to talk about. We'll help you. We even have some video curriculum that we purchased where all you have to do is put a DVD in and hit play. And then afterwards, you look at your group and go, yeah, what do you think? <laughs> and you just talk about it a little bit. I mean, it's really that easy. It's really that easy. We want to make it as simple for you as possible. We have groups that uh, knit and make things together. We have groups that, uh, <laughs> we have a youth. Yes. We have a bunch of teenagers and students that get together. Uh, we have groups that play sports together. We had a group, um, that has gone fishing together. I mean, you name it, as long as it's not sin, we want you to make a group out of it. And here's what I think. Small groups really are. They really are the backbone of our church. Like if we don't have participation in groups, we can't grow together. We can't get delivered from our past lives together. And I think true life change happens in the context of relationships. I believe it with all my heart. So we want to encourage you. If you're not interested in leading a group, just get in a group for the summer. You'll be glad you did. I heard there's going to be one with maybe some mommies going to the park together and let your kids get sweaty and bring them home and make dad give them a bath. That'll be fun. All right. <clears throat> all right. Then the next one, the cup of redemption. And the redemption, remember, is really just about getting your life back on track. Listen, when every single one of us were born, God had a perfect plan for us. He had a perfect plan for each and every one of us. Somewhere along the way, we, we started following a different plan until we came back to Christ. And so we have a process in our church to help you find out, hey, what is the plan? What is the thing that God has uniquely gifted and designed you to do? Are you a great singer? We think that your, your design hints at what your destiny probably is. Are you a great musician? Maybe you should be in this band. Are you, are you creative? Are you a great photographer or videographer? We think you should help us create great creative content 
that we can use in the church. Are you great with kids? Do you love kids? And I talked about this last week, that there are some people that have a grace on them to love children. I, like, I don't. I love my kids. Not so much your kids. All right, so, I mean, I love them. I love them so much that I found somebody who loves them more than I do to stay with them all day on Sunday. All right. That was deep. Cup of redemption. And so our process for helping you find that thing that God wants to redeem you to is called life track. And and I want to invite you tonight. You can start that process from the very beginning. Church 101 at 6 p.m. We have some refreshments, some snacks. I'll be there teaching. And, uh, and tonight we just start off by talking about what it means to really be a part of our church family and get involved in the life of the church. And then we take you through a process of finding out how to keep your relationship with God strong and healthy, how to find your giftings and the things that you were created for, and how to get plugged in on a team and make an eternal difference with, with other people. And that's the last cup, the cup of praise. That cup gets fulfilled in our church through what we call the life team. And here's what our life team is. Our life team is anyone who serves in any capacity. There's a bunch of people that got here this morning and they set up the stage and connected these speakers and made sure these screens would work and that screen would work. And they, they connected microphones and lights and hung pipe and drape and put mats down so that kids didn't have to crawl around on floors where people spilled soda last night. And they, and they did, I mean, all of that work happened because there's some people who said, that's what God created me for. That's what he's redeemed me to is to help make a movie theater into a church every single Sunday. And, and so for us, that cup of praise happens in Life Team. And I'm going to show you why it's called the cup of praise in a minute. But check this out. I want to share some more statistics with you that I think are actually incredible. In our church, about one in three people are actively participating on that team, on the Life Team. One in three. Now, I'd rather it be... Two out of three or three out of three, but I will take one out of three, especially when I look at what is the average in our country in churches. Remember, 87% of people never move past the the second cup. 87% of Christians say, I love God. I've received Jesus into my life, but I really don't know why I'm here. I really don't know what my purpose is. And so what this tells us is in our church, We're doing a little better, at least somewhere around 33% are moving through the process and figuring out what they were created for and getting connected to a team where they can live out their purpose and their God-given destiny. The average church, check this out, this is kind of scary. The average church has less than 20% involvement. Less than, they call this the 80-20 or the 20-80 principle. You guys have probably heard it, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. In reality, it's worse than that. Um, because that 20% incorporates not only just people who serve or volunteer, but also people who give. If you were to break down just the people who serve and take out, don't even worry about the giving, just people who, because not everybody has income, and some people haven't figured out giving and generosity yet, but they love to serve, just where they're at in their, in their maturity and their walk with Christ. It's actually worse than that, and in the average church, fewer than 20% are, have actual involvement and feel like they have some ownership. And so I'm just thrilled that in our church, it's, it's going to keep getting better, everybody. It's going to keep getting better. 31 and 3. And actually, it should be that way, by the way. Our church should always be broken up into thirds. It should be a third who are mature followers, a third 
who are younger believers who have given their hearts to Christ recently and they're figuring out what that means, and a third who are searching and seeking and they're not sure about this whole thing yet. So what that tells me is that that first third, we're there. It's happening. And so that's an exciting thing. Come on, are you with me this morning? It's an ex- it's a, you're in a, check it out. You, you stepped into a healthy, life-giving church this morning. That ought to make you happy. That ought to make you exciting. So people ask me, what does it mean when you say life-giving? You're a life-giving church. And I think all of us have had experiences in our lives that were the opposite of life-giving. And this might sound a little bit crude, but here's what we say. Here's what we mean when we say it's a life-giving church. We want it to be the opposite of life-sucking. We we want you to have an experience today where you get up from those chairs and you go out the doors and you get in the car and you go, that was fun. I want to do that again. I want to be a part of that every week. That's what we call a life-giving church. But a lot of people aren't drinking from all four cups. For many of us, there's an unlived life that we have not tapped into yet. And God always intended for you, I believe this with all my heart, all right? This better get me some amens, at least from my lead team. Not, not yet. I'll let you know when it's, all right. God, listen to this. God always intended for you to live a life of fulfillment. You're like, oh, that's, oh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Amen. That's where you wanted it. God always intended for you to live a life of fulfillment. (laughs) So genuine, authentic. But here's the truth. Many of us, instead of living a life that's full, or living a life where we're just trying to get live with as little bad as possible. As little bad as possible. And that's not, that is not God's plan for you. It's not his goal. And our goal for you at True Life is that you would experience what Jesus talks about in the book of John. And I'm going to break this scripture down for you a little bit today. Because I know, especially in a non-denominational church, there are a lot of theological persuasions. Had some great discussions yesterday with some of our leaders about this. And I had a lot of fun with it. So let's look at John 10.10. I'm I'm reading to you from a version called the the New Testament in modern English. It's not that well known, but I just like the way it phrases the scripture for, for what we're talking about today. And it says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, this is Jesus talking. Now, let me just pause here for a second and, and let you know who Jesus is talking about when he talks about the thief. There's an entire parable going on. It starts back in John chapter 9, where Jesus is basically calling out the religious leaders of his time, the Pharisees. There were four sects of religious leaders that had broken up into different pieces at this time, and one of them were the Pharisees. Jesus is basically calling them bad leaders, Bad religious leaders. The Pharisees were very committed to following every letter and rule of the law. Remember that one time they even got mad at Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath? Jesus, what's wrong with you? You can't do that. So Jesus is speaking in a duality here because he repeats the parable again. And So what he's giving us is an indication that religion, rules, regulations, check the boxes, is always a tool of the enemy to get people away from the real thing, and that's to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what he says about these guys is, hey, they're thieves and robbers. And the Pharisees, they're like, we don't get it. And he says, let me break it down for you. I am the good shepherd. 
and the sheep know the good shepherd's voice and they'll follow me. Every, he says, everyone who came before was a thief and a robber. And then he goes into this verse, which lets us know that the enemy has a plan for our lives, just like God has a plan for our lives. What is the enemy's plan for our lives? To steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I've come to bring them what? Come on, somebody. I've come to bring them life in its fullness. Life in its fullness. Now, here's the other thing that gets debated about John 10.10. What was Jesus saying here when he says, I've come to bring them life? Isn't he just, here's on the one camp, I'm going to give you the two camps. On the one camp, they would say, no, 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 Jesus is, he's strictly talking about eternal life. He's saying, I've come so that you can have salvation, so that you can dodge the bullet of God's wrath, the punishment that all of us deserve for our sin, for the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. So the one camp says, He's strictly talking about eternal life, salvation from your sins. The other camp over here, and they've made quite a mess out of it too. They say, no, he's talking about the fullest, richest, most satisfying, abundant life that you can possibly have right now. That's why you should be able to ask God for private jets and Cadillacs and bigger houses and more money. That's dumb. It's just dumb. Now, God can bless you with all that stuff if he wants to. But that's not what Jesus was talking about here. What he's talking about is a life that's full, not free from problems, not free from issues, not free from things that go wrong, not free from sadness, not free from hurt, but a life that at the end of the day is still attached to the blessed hope of Jesus Christ where we can, we can lay our head on the pillow and go, it's not all perfect, but it will be one day. And I have a life full of purpose and meaning, and it's rich, and it's satisfying, and it's abundant life. So here's what I did. I looked at the Greek here, this word life, and it's spelled Z-E-O-N, Z-O-N, is the Greek word. Guess what this word means? It means life, both fully present and in the physical right now, and eternal and in the future. So here's what I have to say. To the people who say, no. Just talking about salvation from sin and you get to go to heaven. And here's what I have to say to the people who've taken it way too far the other way. Is it just eternal life he's talking about? Or is it this life right now? Did, did Jesus come to save us just from sin and its consequences? Or did he come to save us from an empty life with no meaning? Guess what the answer is? Both! Why did... I don't know why Christians create dichotomies around these things that aren't true. They're false. And then this same word shows up 46 times in the New Testament. And guess what? It gets used for both. Jesus came to give you eternal life and freedom from sin and the consequences of that sin. And he came to redeem your life right now and give it rich and satisfying meaning and purpose while you finish out your days on earth. And that's why we need to drink from the cup of praise. The enemy has a plan for you. All of us are living out one plan or the other. And most of us have some things that keep us from experiencing a full life. Here's the first one in your notes. We let our past cripple us. We let our past cripple us. Most of us still feel defined by our mistakes. And I just got to tell you, that's not God's best for you. 
I still deal with, can I just tell you, I still deal with this. Like I was a, I guess I was a late bloomer socially. Like growing up, my, my family was pretty poor. I remember my, it was just me and my mom at one time living in my grandma's trailer. My mom used to go buy patterns and had a sewing machine and would pick the most awful fabric imaginable and make me clothes. I mean, I look, I look like I wore PJs to school half the time. And I, and I just didn't fit in, man. I just didn't. And it created this incredible insecurity in me so that later on in high school, I would just do stupid things, make really bad decisions just to try to get people to like me and fit. It started in elementary school. I remember one time all the, the teacher had to leave the classroom for some reason. That's always a bad start to things. And so some of the kids were doing crazy things and I had to one up everybody because I just it was in me. I needed to be accepted. I needed to be liked. I was an insecure kid. And so I jumped up on top of one of the big round tables and just started like dancing. And so the whole class is like, ah, and I'm, I'm in the middle of my show and the teacher walks in and I'm like, hey, and I went to the office. Not fun. And so, and even, can I just say like, even today, I still, the enemy would love, uh, I usually not before I preach, but usually after I preach, as I walk up that aisle to go greet people in the back, I have this internal struggle, this little argument between me and the enemy where the enemy will try to say, so-and-so probably didn't like your message today. So-and-so probably thinks you were trying to get on them or so-and-so probably blah, blah. And so I have this little thing where I have to remind myself and the enemy as much as I love all of you, none of you called me the ministry that God did. And, and as much as I would love for all of you to be happy with me, in the end, it doesn't matter. I have to please God. And so I have, but I still, the enemy tries to cripple me with my past. And I have this little fight as I walk up that aisle almost every Sunday. Just, it just happens. We let our past cripple us. Look at Psalm 38, 4 and 6. My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I'm bent over and racked with pain all day long. I'll walk around filled with grief. And that's some of us. That's where we're at. But check it out. God wants to free you from your past. He wants to give you purpose and meaning that goes beyond all of that. Here's the second thing that will keep us from drinking from this cup. We let culture define us. We let culture define us. We're all following a plan, but some of us aren't following God's plan. And I just want to ask, here's the question that you need to ask yourself this morning. Am I living out the script that God wrote for my life? And for some of us, if we're really honest, the answer is either no or I'm not sure, which is then it's probably still no. And if you answer no, then you're either one of two things. You're either willingly on the enemy's plan. In other words, I'm willingly going to sin and live life for my own pleasures. For my, I'm going to find a way to make myself happy on my own. I know I'm on the wrong plan and I'm okay with that. Or some of us have been lured onto the enemy's plan. It happens when we respond to the pressures of culture. It's happening right now in the world we live in. Our culture wants to redefine what marriage looks like. Our Listen, it's not just, can I just tell you, it's not just marriage. Our culture wants to redefine what every relationship you have looks like. Because that's the enemy's plan. To steal, to kill, to destroy, to take health out of every relationship that you have. 
He wants to get you to the point where you won't connect with anybody and you won't trust anybody. Everything is just superficial and surface because then the enemy knows that you can't do anything for the kingdom. Galatians 1.10, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. Come on, somebody. That, that just needs to be some of our battle cries as we walk out of here today. I'm done trying to win the approval of people. I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to win the approval of God. That's it. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. In other words, you can't follow Jesus with all your heart and make everybody happy. It will offend someone. It will cost you a friendship. It will cost you a relationship. Sometimes it will cost you relationships that you couldn't believe it was going to cost. But it's the truth. Here's the last one that keeps us from living out this life. We try to do it all alone. Try to do it all alone. The enemy wants to mess one or two relationships up so bad in your life that you'll distrust everyone. Maybe he's done it to you through a marriage. Maybe he's done it to you through your parents. Maybe he's done it to you through a close friend or family member. But that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you living life alone. And that's why we have a saying around here. At True Life, we do life together. We do life together. We're not going to do life alone. Ecclesiastes 4.8. This is the case of a man who's all alone. Without a child or a brother. Yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself. Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. And that's where some of us are. The enemy has convinced you that it's better to do life alone. And it's a lie. Hello, somebody. It's a lie. Cup four, the cup of praise, solves this problem. The cup of praise solves this problem. It's what the, it's what the Jewish people call this, the cup of praise. And it's not because, I know what you're thinking. I'd be calling it the cup of praise on my fourth cup of wine too. No, sinners. <laughs> no, that's, that's not why it's called the cup of praise. Although, I could see how that logic works. It actually comes from, that word praise comes from the word hallel. We also get the word, you've probably sung it in songs on the screen, Hallelujah. And if you were to talk to Jewish people, they would tell you one of their goals is to live a Hallel life. What it really means is a full life, a life full of purpose, a life full of meaning. And it means much more. Now, we, we see the word hallelujah and we think, okay, it just means to celebrate, to sing. That's a word we use on Sundays. No, in the Jewish culture, it means much, much more than that. To live a Hallel life means living large and full And here's what I want to say to you this morning. Anything less than a Hallel life is not what God has for you. Anything less than a Hallel life is not what God has for you. God wants you living the Hallel life, a life of praise, the life of hallelujah. Exodus 6, 6, I will take you as my own person, my own individual. No, here's the one where it switches. I will take you as my own people, a family, a community, a church. 
I'm going to put you together. I'm going to change your identity from individuals to a people, and you're going to find purpose and meaning in your life. And if you want to live a Hillel life, you've got to be a part of a family. You've got to be a part of a spiritual family, a people that you're living life together with. Because what happens is, through us, through a local church, and maybe we're not the church, maybe you're looking today, here's my encouragement to you. You find the one that's the place where you can say, this is my people, this is my family that I'm going to lock arms with, and we're going to complete the mission and the purpose of God. Together, you'll find fullness in your life when you do that. You'll begin to live the Hillel life. Check it out. In 1943, Abraham Maslow came up with the hierarchy of needs. Those of you who study psychology and go down that path, you're very aware of what this is. And at the first level, I'm going to put it on the screen, even though it's not in your notes, you can flip the paper over if you want to. At the first level, the most basic level, all of us have what are called physical needs. The physiology. All of us need to breathe. All of us need to drink. All of us need to eat. Do I need to camp out here very long? We all get that, right? Then the next level, he says, all of us have safety needs. We need to be protected. This is why you lock the doors on your house. Well, some of you. This is why we install alarm systems. This is why we lock our cars whenever we leave them in the parking lot. We, there's a need for safety, for protection. In the next level, he says, all of us have love needs. All of us want to be loved and love someone. Then the next level, all of us have esteem needs. This is where we need somebody else to notice us, to compliment us, to build us up. The first four are what they call the deficiency needs. They group them together. They call them the deficiency needs. In other words, they just make life bearable. They make life able something that you're able to live. They're the basics. Then comes a whole other group. And it starts with cognitive needs. This is the need to learn and grow. If you read the book, this is in the book, but it's worth repeating. The need for us to learn, to gather information, to grow. Then we have aesthetic needs. Come on, hospitality people. You, you need to decorate. My wife is in touch with the aesthetic needs. She's the one that walked in here before we ever had church in this theater. And she was like, it would look really pretty if there were rocks in the women's bathroom sink. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. She's like, but it looks awesome. You're so smart, baby. Whatever you say. All right. <coughs> then they have what's called self-actualization and now for a long time they thought this was the pinnacle they thought this was the pinnacle of human living and self-actualization was this need that we have to realize our potential and to win to realize my potential and to win and for years they thought this was the pinnacle but they realized that even people who reach this level of living still felt empty, still felt like there was something missing. And so what they came up with was this final pinnacle of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and it's what's called transcendence needs. In other words, all of us have this thing in us. God has wired us up with this need to live a life that goes beyond ourselves, exceeding the usual limits. So how do we realize this level of living? I think you become a people with God working through you. You become a part of a family. You become a part of something that's going to be, it's the only thing on planet earth that's going to be eternal. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's us. 
And when we become a part of that, and when we become a part of his purpose and his mission, and we lock arms together as a spiritual family, I think we can finally reach the pinnacle of living and have a life that's bigger than ourselves. I would say it this way. Write it down. It's not in your notes, but I would write it down. Ultimate fulfillment comes when you're part of a family making a difference because God is on your side. Ultimate fulfillment, the full life, life in its fullness happens when you're part of a family making a difference because God is on your side. And this is why I think the local church exists. It's to help get you to this place. So let me wrap it up. How do we drink from this cup? It begins with a calling. It begins with a calling. 2 Timothy 1, 8, 9, God, who first saved us and then called us to his holy work, we had nothing to do with it. It was all his idea. Come on, somebody. His idea. A gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. It begins with a calling. What does that calling look like? What does it feel like in my life? And in your notes, here's, here's how I think you should describe it. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. What I hope will happen for some of us today is we'll, we'll just we'll go, you know what? Yeah, I do. I want to make a difference. I want my life to mean something. It's a great quote. I don't know who came up with it first, but I love it. And it just simply says this. You'll lose your way when you lose your why. You'll lose your way when you lose your why. When you don't know why you're here, what God has planned and purpose for your life and what you're supposed to be doing, you're going to lose your way. You're going to get off track. You're going to start to make some choices that end in painful consequences. So what, you know what I want? I want you to show up tonight and start the process with us. Go through life tracks so we can help you find your why so that you can avoid ever losing your way. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching better than you're yelling. All right. It begins with the calling. Number two, it stands on a cause. It stands on a cause. Your calling is more than just doing the thing you're good at. Your calling is more than just doing the thing you're good at. It's about doing the thing you're good at and attaching it to eternal impact. I told you last week, there are several people that when we found them, they were doing some things they were good at. But there was no fulfillment in it. Because they weren't doing it attached to any kind of eternal purpose. I picked on Dan earlier, but he's a perfect example. When we found Dan, he was a part of a group of young guys who were running around playing with a band. And they thought they were awesome because they had teenage girls chasing them everywhere. If Guys, if you're struggling... And you don't, you know, you look in the mirror and you're just not thrilled with what you see, pick up a guitar. It takes you up like 10 points. It's the truth. Or, or learn to sing. It just makes you look. Or go into ministry. I just always say like, one of the blessings of ministry is, is a nice looking wife. I don't know why God did that for me, but I'm so thankful that he did. 
That's inappropriate, Michael. I don't care. All right. It stands on a cause. Your calling is more than just doing the thing you're good at. Acts 20, 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Our lives are worth nothing if we're not following his plan. So what does that look like in my life? I want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference. I want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference. What makes a difference? People in heaven. Why does a team of people set up a stage every Like you realize how monotonous that is to load aluminum, plywood, and carpet onto this concrete floor week after week after week. Why? Because 15 people raised their hand in one of those chairs and said, I need Jesus in my life. They, I want to make a difference, so I'm going to do something that makes a difference. Number three, it spreads from me to we. It starts with a call, it stands on a cause, and it spreads from me to we. Because you know what? You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. You just can't. I, I have an acoustic guitar in my house. For those of you who are musicians, you'll understand what I'm about to say. I know five chords and I have a capo, so I can play most things. Most. And I could get up here on Sundays and probably suffer us all through a worship set if I had to. But it's better with a team. It's better when we're surrounded by a bunch of people who say, you don't have to do that, Pastor Mike. You, you don't. You, you just leave your guitar in the basement. You pick it up every once in a while when you want to get in touch with your younger days. You do that. Go serenade your wife. Get some brownie points, whatever you want to do. You, you do that. Listen, this is what God has called us and gifted us to do. And we're in a family doing it together. And we think we can get up and do something that makes a difference. For a reason that makes a difference. And we can use our gifts and our talents for the Lord and lead people into God's presence and set them up to hear the word of God. Because, hey, Michael, that's what you are gifted and called to do. So let us do what we're gifted and called to do. Because we want to do something that makes a difference. With people who want to make a difference. It's in your notes. You see it? I want to make a difference. Doing something that makes a difference with people who want to make a difference. Ecclesiastes 4.9, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And that's why we have a life team. Because our life team really is a bunch of teams who've said, I want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference with people who make a difference. And they're doing it. Talk to them. Talk to them. Grab one of our greeters who... We're probably doing awkward dances and cartwheels when you came into because that's God's wired them up to create energy and make it fun for you to enter into the house. That's what they I mean, they were probably out there being crazy. And if you can settle them down. Hey, hey here's, 
Here's something shiny. Look at me. Look right here. Is it fun to be on the life team? Are you finding fulfillment? Yes. I've got to go over here. That's how God has wired them. That's, I mean, that's Ryan. If you ever hung around Ryan, man. John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Here's a final thought. Let me wrap it up. Tim, you can come. Matthew 26, verses 26 and 29. Now, as they were eating, this is the last supper. Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. You recognize this. We use the scripture when we do communion. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, now watch this. If you look at the book of Luke, you'll see that this is the third cup. They're going through the, the Passover process right here. And they've drunk three times. So they've done three of the four I wills. And drunk the wine. And look what Jesus says. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus never drank the fourth cup at his last Passover. Why? Because Jesus will drink the final cup with you and me. Do you get that? The fulfillment of the four promises, the four I wills, we're going to be there for it. I'm going to drink the final cup with you in heaven. Revelation 19.9, and the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Would you close your eyes this morning? All across the room told you I'd go fast. I think I did it. A miracle. See, miracles happen. Here's the deal. For any of us to even have a chance of being there to drink that final cup, we have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ, our Passover lamb, made it possible for you and I to experience the four cups. To experience these four core promises for our lives. And you might be sitting in this room today thinking, man, I, I, I'd, like, I'd, like, I'd like freedom in my life. I'd like restoration. I'd like to be a part of something bigger than myself. What do I do? Where do I start? You start by inviting Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior for forgiveness of your sin for the opportunity to spend life in eternity with Him and to start living a life that's more full than anything you ever imagined not free of problems not perfect just full a life of purpose a life of meaning and if you're sitting here today and you say Michael I've never prayed that prayer. I've never invited Jesus into my life. But I, I feel something tugging in my heart. That thing you feel, that's the Holy Spirit. He's convincing you of your need of a Savior. 
And you can pray a simple prayer today and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to make you do anything weird. I just want to know that you're here and we're going to pray together. Would you just hold your hand up and say, Michael, that's me. I want to invite Christ into my life. I see it. Anyone else? Quickly. See it. Anyone else? And begin a relationship with Jesus today. Awesome. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, just a simple prayer. You can make it your own. Change the words up if you want to. What matters is that you mean it between you and Jesus. I'm going to ask you as soon as we pray this prayer to grab the connection card in the cup holder next to you. And just write your name. Give us your contact info. At least give us your email address. Because we're going to send you an email with some steps, some instructions that will help you get your relationship with Jesus off to a good start. We want you healthy. We want you to make it. So church, would you just join me as we welcome people into the family of God and just pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear Jesus, I need you. Please come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I repent of doing life my way. And I turn to doing life your way. I need you. And from this day on, Jesus Christ, you will be the king of my heart and the Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Yeah, come on. Now, I'd love to have some big emotional prayer that I could pray over everybody to make you drink from all four cups. But this is this whole series, man, you, like you just got to do it. And, and I just, I'm, I won't beg because I'm not that kind of guy, but I'm as close to begging as I possibly can be. That if you haven't walked through the process with us, start tonight. Come to Life Track. Go on a journey with us for four weeks. I'm out. I'm not asking you for Sunday nights for the rest of your life. I'm asking you for four Sundays. I hung out with somebody this last week that was just like, I'm just so busy. Four Sundays to find out what God purposed for your life. It's worth it. It's worth it. Will you make it a priority? Come hang out with me tonight. And here's the thing. If you do it, you walk through the process and you go, man, this, no, didn't work for me. I will help you. I will introduce you personally to every pastor we can find in this city until we find the church for you. Because you need to be in a family. You need to be plugged in. Love it if it's here. I'm okay if it's not. Because it's the kingdom. Come on, somebody. It's the kingdom. And I want you to live a full life. Our ushers are going to come right now. We're going to give you an opportunity to worship God through giving. If you're a guest today, I don't want you to feel any pressure at all to give. You can if you want to. Uh, But this service is our gift to you. We're just glad that you're here. And uh, for everybody else, thank you so much for your faithfulness and giving and and, uh, being obedient to God. And and Come on, it takes a little bit of trust, right? That that first time you step out. I remember the first time we stepped out, we're like, okay, we're going to be tithers from now on. And then I saw how much money it was. I was like, oh, Lord Jesus. And then he came through for us and met every need that we had. And then some, like the blessing of God started being poured out on our lives. So I get it. Man, I'm thankful that so many of you have taken that step of faith with us as God has taken care of his church. Father, thank you so much for each and every person who gives today. I pray that you would pour out blessing on their lives. I pray for the rest of our congregation, the rest of our church today. God, that we'd be people 
who understand these promises that you've given us, these promises for our life, and we would, uh, we would take advantage of it. You want us to live a life that's full, and we thank you for that, God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.